Hello, hello, you're on the air. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week. This is This Is Sex with Dr. J, Dr. Clay, and Valen A. We are super excited to be back with you. Thank you for everyone who has listened, who has followed us on our Instagram page, This Is Sex Podcast. Um, we also have a new email address as well, This Is Sex Podcast at Gmail. So send us your feedback, your questions, your comments. We would love to hear from you. And tonight we are talking about STIs. Right. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. So I'm excited to talk about this because I think it's such an important topic. Um, STIs are so prevalent um, and they're they're just something that we don't always talk about, um, especially not an open dialogue. So um, we thought that this would be um, a very pertinent topic. It's pertinent every month, regardless of whatever awareness month it is, whatever holiday is going on. So um, we wanted to talk about it. And so um, I will kind of just get us started and say that I think that Dr. Clay should get us started in terms of, because and so STIs, one, one thing that I was thinking about when- What is, um, what is an STI? Well, and I was going to say, because now STIs got a name change. We were just talking about name changes and marriages and stuff like that, dropping last names. Well, when I was coming up, it was STD. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so now it's STI. And, and before- so, STD, it was BG. Yeah, yes. oh, way back. Through that. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. We're taking it back, back. So, yes. So, these iterations of names, you know, um, you know, a thing by a, a, any name is still a thing. And so, I thought it'd be good to just have our resident doctor, Dr. Clay, talk to us about what STIs are, why we don't call them STDs, VD, whatever. Um, and so, and just kind of give us an overview like what are some common STIs um what do you what do you see in your practice all of that good stuff so um if you're like my mama you still call it BD <laughs> so my mom still mom still calls it that but okay so STIs in their kind of simplest definition is any infection that can be transmitted from one person to the other sexually and that can be vaginally, anally, or orally. So it's just an infection that can only be passed sexually. Um, we change the name from STDs to STIs to remove the stigma that goes along with the word disease. So we took that out because we wanted to um, make it less negative sounding, although you'll still hear people, and even me, sometimes I'll say STD versus STI just because they mean the same thing. Um, and they're incredibly common. They're incredibly common, not only in the uh, in our communities, but definitely in the U.S. population. And I think I think Dr. J is going to give us some stats on some of the most common STIs that are out there, and then we can talk about kind of each one individually. Does it sound okay? That works for me. Um, so we're going to talk about the let's see, one, two, three, four, top six. Okay. Um, so we have chlamydia which I found out in undergrad is not a flower. Uh, so full oh, disclosure. Wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. Wait a hot minute. Dr. J, a flower? Oh, it's like, like, what kind of flower would it be? Like, it grows in... Well, this is the thing. So, when I was undergrad, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I found out from personal research experience that chlamydia is not a flower. (laughs) (laughs) I I too had some undergrad research. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, it is right now... uh, I want to say the the reigning king of sexually transmitted infections with um, about 1.8 million people in the United States um, being infected with chlamydia or we want to say infected with or want to, we want to say contracting uh, chlamydia, which is a 19% increase since 2014. I've so, seen that. <clears throat> a lot of these um, infections are on the rise. Yes. Um, then we have, obviously, HIV, uh, 1.2 million people um, uh, in the United States. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is 14% of them do not know. So that's one out of seven people that are potentially HIV positive don't even know it. Um, which is why we really stress testing mm-hmm. um, and knowing your status. Um, next, we have gonorrhea, um, which I know Dr. Clay is going to talk about. That's one of the ones you can have, you know, in the oral throat region. Uh, 583,000 um, and some change people have gonorrhea in the United States. Wow. Um, and then syphilis coming in, primary and secondary syphilis coming in at around 35,000. Um, which I know here in the Dallas area, a few years back, we had a huge push for a syphilis elimination project and the, the county got dedicated funding to kind of, you know, target syphilis outreach. And it was a multi-site intervention across the country because we did see syphilis on the rise. Um, and that is a 71% increase since 2014. Wow. I always think about um, Tuskegee. Um, mm-hmm. and I know, um, like for uh, our program, for our, I think it was like research ethics. Um, that was like the whole semester. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was the beginning, the middle and the end of like, uh, research ethics. But, um, I always think about the Tuskegee experiment when I hear syphilis. Yeah. And then the final one, I think Dr. Clay will probably, I think the final one that Dr. Clay will probably talk about is HPV. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize it's over 40 types of HPV. 40? Caught four, over 40 types. Wow. Um, and around 42 to 43% of 18 to 59-year-olds have HPV at some point in their life. So um, a lot of these are on the rise. And um, I guess we can round out the list with herpes. You got... Herpes simplex, simplex virus 2, which is typically in the genitals, and then herpes simplex virus 1, which is typical, uh, typically seen in the oral region. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, a lot of STIs on the rise out there and um, a lot of public health interventions that go on, particularly for uh, HIV, HPV, syphilis, but um, yeah. A lot of them can even, you know, impact your fertility. So I think the, the, Tasha J, the most, the latest statistics I read also show that almost all, so all of those, um, this, the 
rates of positivity of STIs is increasing across all ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. And something that's not surprising, I think, to the three of us, but probably to the community as well, is that people of color are disproportionately affected. So we are black and brown than our white counterparts. So talking about- What do you think that is? Don't get me on my soapbox. There's a lot of reasons why I think that is. Um, um, I think that uh, black and brown people in general are at risk um, for almost everything um, over our white counterparts. Um, some of that has to do with our just our genetic, our genetic composition. Some of that has to do with the constant stressors that we have in the world that other people do not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the whole we could do a whole show about the mistrust of uh, the healthcare system, healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Um, black and brown people. So there's lots of reasons for that, but that's kind of the thing that our audience needs to know was that STIs are on the rise. We as people of color are more disproportionately affected by them, which means and they're we- preventable. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 And so we have to do a better job at, at, at knowing what they are, um, what symptoms, you know, we can have from them and what do we do about them? So. Yeah, that's so. So, Dr. Clay, would you say that all STIs have typical symptoms? Yes, um, the most common being no symptoms. Exactly. Mm. So that, and that's the hard part, is that for a lot of people, um, there are no symptoms to almost all the ones you listed. Most people walk around and they have no idea that they have an STI. Um, So, they most people. Well, well, depending on the depending on the STI, you may have a symptom here or there. But a lot of people, especially women, we don't have symptoms, and that's why for us, getting tested for STIs is incredibly important because untreated STIs can have long-term effects, like effects on our fertility, like effects on our reproductive organs. And so, most of the screening efforts for STIs are geared towards us. So then, let me ask you. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Paul and she's just shaking her head. Just yeah, so it's like uh Valen, let me ask you this question. Uh-oh. So we know that we are more susceptible to STIs. hmm mm-hmm. We see that the rates are increasing. What message in your discipline? do you all most communicate when it comes to communication about STIs, stigma associated with them, having those conversations, disclosing to your partner? Like what type of conversations are you having? All kinds. Um, Most of the time, like I I think that, you know, one thing we've talked about just the three of us collectively is like the importance of communication. And so like in my work, I'm talking to people all the time about effective communication. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's this big disconnect of like, well, you know, if you're communicating about like, you know, needing help with the kids or, you know, being stressed about work and stuff. It's like we, we compartmentalize sexual health and that part of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we don't always have conversations about sexual health in general. So then when something like an STI happens, um, you know, sometimes there's like shock, like, oh my gosh, how did this happen? And I don't think that people truly don't know how it happened. I think that people 
kind of and especially like with adolescents and young adults I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people just feel like it wouldn't happen to them Mm -hmm. um and so I think that's part of it but just empowering people to have conversations and have conversations about sexual health with partners because sometimes like you meet a person you get with the person you hook up and then it's like oh it's a pregnancy or oh now we have an sti how do we talk about it um as opposed to kind of talking about some of these things when you even if you're just hooking up just talking about them in general but i think that's probably the biggest thing like how, how do you communicate it? Because one, one thing that I find a lot is on the flip side. So, you know, not proactive, but it's sort of like after you've gotten this positive result, like, oh, I'm pregnant. Now I had gonorrhea and chlamydia and I got to tell him all of this, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, like all of these things are, um, you know, how, now I've been diagnosed with herpes. And that was, you know, a relationship that ended, like, how do I go on, um, you know, dating? When do I disclose? Who should right. know? You know, what if they fall in love and then get mad? Or, you know, like all of these kinds of things. So I think, you know, just across the spectrum, all of these topics come up. But it's so interesting because I know we don't get a lot of conversation. And I mean, talking personally, I remember, you know, I had a, I, my mom found a letter. This was like before text messages. <laughs> my mom found a a letter and she read it and it was really I think my cousin and I she was kind of giving me advice about you know being being a new researcher right and uh so my mom found a letter I knew she found a letter because she was all you left one of your little letters in the car and I'm like no I ain't leaving no letter in her car and Mm -hmm. you know the the beginning middle and end of our conversation was like oh if you're doing research now um you know find whichever birth control method you want to be on and um and don't bring no babies in here. And so, like, we didn't have, I mean, over time. Let me ask you this. Do you think that conversation, you know, I, I love working with adolescents. Do yeah. you think that conversation has changed a lot? Do you think that our, because just think about it. This is now our age group. Yeah. That are now parents. Are you seeing that our age group of parenting young adults is better or the same messages are being oh, just no. <laughs> I, I, I think them I think those I think we perpetuate some of the same yeah. things, even though we can say at the same time, like, yeah, we didn't have these talks. But I see it with a lot of you know, I, I see it all the time. It's like, oh, you know, I I have a good friend and her daughter is a teenager and she's like, well, she's not having sex. And I'm like, well, we were, we were, you know, like lab assistants working our way up at this point in time. You know, we, we were working our way up the ladder. And so she's like, well, no, you know, like I'm not going to talk about that. So yeah, I do think, I mean, that's a good question. I don't necessarily know if we're doing a better job. I think that we, we want to feel like we're more progressive and there may be, you know, other things like maybe talking about, about like what a healthy relationship looks like you know from a comprehensive perspective like it wasn't even really any of that like you know this is what you should expect this is what you know this is unhealthy and so I do see some of that but just in terms of um you know just how to protect yourself or like even talking about condoms how to use a condom I don't I don't I don't know if that's always happening Dr. Clay, would you say that in your practice that when young ladies come to you that have an STI that are under the age of 18, let's, let's start there, that their p- 
parent or guardian that comes with them is shocked or surprised or disappointed or angry or what emotions do you see? Well, so we have to remember when people come to see me, especially if they're 18 or 19 years old, they're usually not coming with their parents. Um, I usually only see um, young girls with their parents when they're, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Once they hit 18, they're usually not bringing their parents. Um, but when we, I see young girls, so 13, 14 years old with STIs, then yes, their parents are all kinds of shocked and, and, and disappointed and, and such. But then when I have a conversation about what was your conversation with your child about sex or what, you know, when you found out about this, usually their response is, well, I brought them in here for birth control. Well, we need to have a whole bunch of other conversations besides just about contraception. We need to talk yeah, about yeah. safe sex. We need to talk right. about condom use. Um, I was doing a lecture today on STIs and one of the things to college students, and one of the things they brought up was how easy it is to talk about sex or the, or having sex with a partner. Like I want to have sex with you. I want to do X sexual thing. Mm-hmm. And that's easy but then saying, I want you to put on a condom or saying, when was the last time you had your mm-hmm. STI screening is a much harder mm-hmm. conversation to have. And mm-hmm. why is that? Why have we empowered our children to say, yes, I want this or yes, I need consent, but we haven't empowered them to then ask the follow-up questions. Right. Okay, now that we decided we want to have sex, what about this, that, and the other? Right. Like we stopped the conversation and I was at a coffee shop earlier today and uh, talking to a guy in our age group, um, and he was saying, I really want you to come talk to my youth group at church. And, you know, he was telling me about the boys and everything and how it just feels that parents are still stuck in the mindset of not my kid. Like, my kid makes good grades. Surely they're not, you know, drinking or using drugs or having sex or all these other activities and behaviors because this part of their, this aspect of their persona is so great and so wonderful. And as a mom of two teenagers, 16 and 19, soon to be 20, Mm -hmm. you know, I have those conversations with them. And when we talk about what the conversations are that their friends have, they are totally different. Mm -hmm. And it just, we get through that and then we have a group of 20 something 30 somethings that still haven't had meaningful conversations on how to have the conversation about using a condom about sti screenings um and then you know we have more conversations about swiping left and swiping right than we do meaningful dialogue on now that i've swiped left I've gotten to know you. I'm making a conscious decision to mm-hmm. be intimate with you, but let's talk about what that means. Yeah. So should we cover, should we cover those six STIs and talk a little bit about um, Definitely. what they look like or mm-hmm. what like or you know, yes. whatever? <laughs> Wait, did you say what they feel like? I, I mean, yeah. Cause they, some, some of them do feel. Different. I was going to say, a, 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 go ahead. <laughs> you can say what you want, Valene. Say what you want. No, no. This Valen was gonna say she ain't never felt an STI that she liked, <laughs> and that is true. That was, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> okay, uh, Doctor J, just you can start. Just tell. Well, let's pick pick an STI. We'll talk about it, and then we'll kind of move on to the next one. So. So let's let's talk about the 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 typically silent ones, uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea. 
And why do they why do they often come in a combo pack? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I mean, I'm, I was gonna, I mean it must be I mean that's like HIV and hep C. Like they go hand okay, in hand. Okay, I mean, right. Come on now. So okay, so gonorrhea and chlamydia are the two most common reportable STIs. So they're not the most common in the world, but they are the two most common reportable ones. Um, the reason they kind of come together is because people usually are infected with both. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to be infected with both, but a lot of people are infected with both. And when you come in and get a positive test for one or the other, we usually will treat you and your partners for both. But so the most common symptoms associated with gonorrhea and chlamydia is nothing. So you can absolutely yep. walk around with no symptoms at all and still have gonorrhea or chlamydia. But let's say you do have symptoms. Let's say you do notice something kind of the biggest um, symptom that people notice is discharge either from the penis or the vagina. And mm -hmm. it usually looks funky or is irritating or is itchy to you. Um, but it is typically uncomfortable. And that's usually what will bring someone into my office. They'll notice that their mm -hmm. discharge is weird or off and they want to be, um, they want to be seen. So, and it's fairly easy to treat. Gonorrhea and chlamydia are both curable diseases. So you get some antibiotics and we'll take care of it. Um, but even more important than you taking your antibiotics, if, you get, if you're positive for one of these, is your partner taking antibiotics as well. Because what you don't want to- not make sense. Right. If you, you get clean, to... only you go sleep with a dirty bat. Yes, you do not want to- um, Reinfect. Take antibiotics, get rid of your infection, and then go back and sleep with the same partner. Mm -hmm. So what that means, and usually what I'll do is I'll have a conversation in, in the office visit about how you're going to have a conversation with your partners. Not just the one you slept with today, but the one you slept with last week and a couple weeks ago, because those people also need to be treated. All of them. Not like, oh, some, you yeah. know, and no, no shade, but you know, like a Maury yeah. or paternity court. And I feel like sometimes people pick a daddy. Like, you know, if you slept with five people, it's five possibles. Okay. Right. You don't pick one. Yes. And you got to test all of them. All yep. of them. Yep. All of them. Because you're going to hit the rotation back up. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, if you come to the office and let's say you're positive for gonorrhea, if... I'm going to ask you how many partners have you had in the last two to two to four weeks. If you tell mm -hmm. me five, I'm going to give you treatment for all five. Right. If you tell and you me know what's interesting about that? We <laughs> will brag about our conquests and say, oh, I'm hitting that and I'm hitting that and I'm hitting that all at the same time. But then when you come up with something, you want to, nope, I was just with that one person. Mm -hmm. Of course. And been with that one person for five years. Like, oh. Okay, you have, and and I only and did it that one time. Part time lover too. Yeah, yeah. So you want to be, you definitely want to be honest with how many partners that you can treat them, um, because as we've said before, there are significant health consequences. So gonorrhea not only can cause infertility issues in women, it can cause infertility issues in men. So men, you don't know, always hear about. You ain't, yep. you ain't, or, or you can, you know, can move to pelvic inflammatory disease because yes. if it goes yeah. untreated for too long. Yeah. You know what? Um, I don't know if y'all watched Teen Mom, the whole, mm. you know, they had like OG Teen Mom too. Now they're coming back out with 16 and pregnant against like the girls from the original 16 and pregnant from MTV are now probably like late 20s. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but anyway, one of the moms on a recent episode, she hooked up with her 
her last baby she has like two kids i think so she hooked up with uh her her baby daddy and they showed her having this positive result like she was oh i'm feeling weird so she goes to planned parenthood um is positive for chlamydia so like it shows her talking to her friend like okay he gave me something and she was mad and so and then she was saying well like i'm not gonna tell him but she hit him up like who've you been who you been fucking so it was like a whole situation but i was glad to see that they showed that um Mm -hmm. but it also was interesting because i think that you know with her kind of like who who have you been fucking well i I think that that's part of the stigma about it because sometimes people are just so open um and maybe it's a natural thing to like want to blame but honestly like maybe you gave him maybe you was holding it exactly like dr clay just said a lot of people are walking around with sexually transmitted infections and they do not realize it. And that is, it's no shame on my perspective. It's no shame on them for having it. Mm -hmm. The shame comes with, you know, your, you, what your sexual practices are and you're not being safe Mm -hmm. one and you're not being tested regularly too. Right. One of the biggest questions I get often is how often should I, be tested for STIs. And that's going to depend. It's going to depend on what your sexual practices are, meaning mm-hmm. how many sexual partners do you have? How often do you change sex- sexual partners? But mm-hmm. also, even if you're in a monogamous relationship, and you that doesn't mean you don't get tested at all. That mm-hmm. just means you get tested less often. <laughs> right. Um, so it really depends on what your practices are and how kind of and how often. Like I have women who been married 30 years and still get tested every single year, and their thought process is you never know unless you check. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, I, I believe people in monogamous relationships, and I'm sorry, I don't have a stat. I will follow up on that. But I believe I saw that that's like one of the fastest growing groups of people with STIs or people in monogamous relationships. Well, another, uh, and I know we need to get back to the list, but another group that um, I have seen uh, articles about is senior citizens. Yes. There was an infusion of Viagra and Cialis on the market where older men were able to have, you know, sexual relationships for longer periods of time. And then we typically think, oh, well, we get to a certain age and we don't have to worry about being tested anymore. But I saw an episode of House I don't know, had to be maybe last year sometime. And uh, he was trying to figure out what was going on with this particular older woman. And when he finally figured it out, um, he said, oh, and by the way, did you know that you had herpes? And she just kind of laughed and she was just like, well, yeah, um, I kind of figured. And so she went through this whole thing that she didn't want her son who had been caring for her to know because of the stigma, because of the shame associated with it or whatever. But um, I, comprehensive self, sexual health education is very important across all ages. Mm-hmm. The messages may change, um, the way we communicate those messages may change, but we still need to talk about testing. We still need to talk about safety. We still need to talk about consent. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, let's talk about syphilis and HPV. Mm-hmm. So syphilis, I find, well, syphilis and HPV are both um, things that people, I think, forget when when we talk about STIs. So when I think of STI, or when most people think of STIs, they think of herpes, HIV, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. And there are a whole lot more than that, HPV and syphilis being um, two really important ones. So we'll talk about syphilis first. 
Um, so syphilis has been on the rise. I think the last statistic I read was since 2001. We've been seeing increases since then. Um, and that it's been increasing um, a little bit more rapidly over the last five to 10 years. So, yep. and the reason being is because I think people don't realize that syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. Um, the most common symptom associated with syphilis is dun, da, 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 nothing. <laughs> so you can have syphilis and not have any symptoms. But the scary thing about syphilis is even the symptoms that people do have um, in primary and secondary syphilis, they often go unnoticed yep. because they think it's something. Rash. Yeah, it's a rash. It's, you know, a little lesion on the penis or the vulva. It's, um, you know, it's uh, swollen lymph nodes or fever or fatigue. It's all these things that are considered normal symptoms. And depending on the time of year, you know, if it's flu season, then you may think what you've got a rash and, you know, fever and swollen lymph nodes is the flu. Um, so that's what makes it kind of scary. So if you ha- if you have symptoms any- of anything in general, <laughs> especially if you know that you have multiple sex partners or you're not using condoms or you're not using any type of protection, you probably should just be checked out for all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, the concerning the other concerning thing about syphilis is what happens is if syphilis is left untreated, it can progress and it yep. can become a very very serious infection um, ten to twenty years after the initial infection. So you can get tertiary syphilis, which is the OG badass, don't want that type of syphilis. So that's OG badass. You ain't walking. This is the syphilis that infects your eyes. It infects your blood vessels. It infects your heart muscle. Um, This is the type of syphilis that people die from. This is the type of syphilis that the Tuskegee experiment was done for. Um, So it does, it takes a long time. So you're talking 10, 20 years before you get there, but think about it. If you don't know what the symptoms of syphilis are, you happen to get exposed during flu season and you never really pay attention or you're not really sure yeah. what you're having, 10 years can go by real quick. And, and it is, oh, I have a sick and then I got over it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's an interesting conversation to have with someone who is, th- you know, 50 or 60 years old and say, hey, so the reason that your eyesight is getting worse and that you're at risk for heart attack is because you had an STI when you were 22. Yeah. Um, so wow. you gotta, syphilis, you got to be careful with, and specifically in the, in the Western part of the world. So that's where I am, Nevada, Arizona, we're seeing such high rates of syphilis that we're being required by the CDC to test people more frequently. So it is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, um and, and so what are your thoughts on HPV, um, boys and girls. Y'all, please get vaccinated. For the love of all things holy, please get vaccinated. Uh, Okay, so HPV is also an STI that people forget about, Mm -hmm. mostly because um, uh, what I've been told by my my patients are that it is a woman thing. Mm. Uh, So HPV is a virus that infects, for the most part, the cervix. Um, It's why we do pap smears every so often. It's why we we do HPV testing. we, there are no HPV tests for men, for young boys, for adolescents. And so that's why people dub it a, a woman disease um, because we're the only ones that get tested for it. Um, but we're not the only ones that get it. But we're not the only ones that get it. So, so a question, HPV yeah. and genital warts, because yeah. you can have, you can, if you have genital warts, then you have the HPV virus, but you can have HPV and not, and not have, have genital yes. warts. 
Yes, yes, you can have HPV and not have um, any abnormal pap smears or genital warts. You can just be carrying around the infection um, and pass it to whoever you're having sex with. Um, there's no cure for HPV. There's no treatment for HPV. In general, for healthy non-smoking folks, the HPV virus will be cleared by your immune system on average in a couple of years. Um, so there's nothing you need. There's nothing, there's no medicine that you take. There's no... Um, thing that you do to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. But we know that HPV causes the majority of cervical cancers. We know that HPV causes 90% of genital warts. We know HPV causes penile cancer, um, anal cancer, vaginal cancer. It causes a lot of horrible things. And so the okay. one thing that people can do is they can get vaccinated because vaccination helps prevent um, the infection, even in someone who's already been exposed to HPV. So yeah. it is and what, what age group is that vaccine most uh, prescribed for? So it's approved for? for it's approved for boys and girls starting at age nine. Um, and initially was up to age 26. It has now been extended up to age 45. Wow. And that's regardless of if you've been exposed or have had a positive HPV test in the past. So there is no reason that anyone should not be vaccinated unless you just fall outside of the age range. Um, or if you've already had cervical cancer, which hopefully if you're below the age of 30, you have not. One of the questions I got today in, um, in my lecture was about HPV vaccination and about it being controversial in that mm -hmm. there are some parents who are very conservative who feel like giving an HPV vaccine is the equivalent of giving um, your children permission to go have sex. Mm -hmm. And to that, I say that's the equivalent of giving your son a condom or your daughter a condom to protect themselves and that being permission to go have sex. No, you're arming your children. Um, you're protecting them against something that we have no cure for. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, just, you know, I saw, I saw a meme that said talking about sex education and only talking about STIs is talking about, is like going to a cooking class and only talking about salmonella. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Very, just very like, Come on, people. Like, stop it. Mm-hmm. Right, like let's let's be let's be honest, ladies. Right, it's 2020. Sex is all over freaking Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter it's and everything. Over Instagram, OnlyFans, Snapchat, you name it. You don't have to look very far to find anything you've ever wanted to know about sex, yeah. right? What what you want to do is is arm your children, protect your children or your family, and make sure that at least if they're going to have sex, they're out there doing it as safely as possible. Right. Uh, so it, is, it's really hard for a lot of parents to accept. And especially for, especially for parents of boys, because remember, a lot of people think that's, you know, HPV is a girl thing. Mm -hmm. um, it only affects women. So why do I need to vaccinate my boys? You need to vaccinate your boys because if they're having sex with girls, they can pass it to them and that can increase their risk of cancer. So it, it's one of those things that I constantly try and, um, liken it to if you get your flu vaccine, if you get your rubella vaccine, if you get your Tdap, it's just, you're, you're trying to prevent infection with any of those vaccines, just like you're trying to prevent HPV. The difference is just that, you know, in, you know, in the world, it's called an STI. <laughs> yeah. So let's round out our, our, our time with herpes and HIV. Ooh. So herp, so HIV, I, 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 we could spend a whole podcast. Yes, on HIV. Hmm. 
Um, essentially, everybody should be tested for it. You should know what your status is. You should get an HIV, HIV test every single year if you are sexually active. Um, and probably even if you ain't. If you got plans to be sexually active, you should, you should get an HIV test. Oh, wait. Which one? You said HIV? You know what? But this is the thing. Like, I had, I had my pap smear in the summer on my annual appointment. And they always asked me, do I want to be tested for STDs and, and AIDS? I mean, or HIV. And... I mean, I always, I'm like, yes, girl, you know, I'm here, go ahead, you already in there, but, mm-hmm. I, I, but I feel like for some people who might not be, like, intentional about it, I feel mm-hmm. like, I mean, even though I'm sure they, they have to ask, but, like, I remember a time when it was just, like, your annual appointment, like, do you, they do your pap smear, you get your testing, you get your bag of condoms, and you get out the door, and now it's like, I got, you know, you ask me all these questions, I'm like, okay, yes, okay, well, yes. Well, Dr. Clay can speak to insurance and what's covered under well woman versus what's not well that's true now every three years i'm like you just told me you want to see my coochie every year now you're saying you don't want you don't want to do that part for three years like then you want to look at my titties every four five years now i want you every time i come in here i want you look at everything all of it if i get dressed one time just do it all It, it depends right so there are there are certain populations of people that we want to test regularly and some that we don't. So you're right, Valine. If you, if you are under the age of 25 and you come to an OBGYN appointment for your annual exam, that should include a pap smear and automatically include gonorrhea and chlamydia screening, regardless of if you have risk factors or if you're sexually active or not. If you're over 25, What's supposed to happen at that exam is your doctor is supposed to ask you about your sexual practices. Who are you having sex with? How many people are you having sex with? What type of sex are you having? Um, how many partners do you have? And based on the, the answers to those, we, did, we'll, we should determine what STI screening you need. Mm. Now, I have people walk in every, every time I see them, I want STI screening. That's really how it should be because if you're having mm-hmm. sex, you should really be getting tested on a regular basis. But from an insurance standpoint, because everybody doesn't have the same insurance and every insurance doesn't cover the same thing, doctors are required to ask because what you don't want, right, is for you to come in, think everything's good, you ain't having no symptoms, and all of a sudden, bam, you get a bill for your HIV test, you're going to retest, and you're like, I didn't ask for that. Oh, that's a good point. Because that's how I got hit with like a $200 bill for a flu shot last year. And I was like, I didn't even want this thing. Y'all asked me. I could have went to Walgreens. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, and actually that's interesting. It's an interesting thing. So herpes is an incredibly common infection. Most people who have herpes don't know they have it. Also one of the scariest things about it. Mm-hmm. There are two types, like Dr. Jay alluded to earlier. There are two types. The type two most often is going to cause genital lesions. Type one is most likely to cause cold sores. But interestingly enough, we are learning or have learned that if you have oral intercourse with somebody who has type one, you can get genital lesions. Yeah. So just because you got type one doesn't mean you're not gonna have mm. uh, blisters on your junk. Yeah. Um, the most common symptom of herpes is nothing. <laughs> um, if you have something, most people will have blisters that turn into ulcers and that's usually what brings people in. Um, they're called outbreaks. Most people have heard of them before. Um, Interestingly enough, and people don't know this, but for most, in most settings, herpes is not included in your routine STI screening. What? Yes. So when you say, I want to be screened for everything, what that tells me. Define what everything is. Right. What that would tell my doctor brain is you want to be tested for the most common STIs and the ones that we will actually do something about 
if, even if you have no symptoms of that STI. So that's your gonorrhea, your chlamydia, your HIV, syphilis, and hepatitis, okay? Herpes, if you are tested for it and you don't have any symptoms of it and you're positive, we don't do anything. We don't give you medication for herpes if you don't have an active outbreak. So there's really no reason to go looking for it. You know, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's, mm. So, but you can always ask to be tested for herpes. You can always ask. There's no reason why someone should say no to you if you want to be tested. See, I needed you a couple of years ago because I, I have a... Mm, okay because I forget I'm talking to the world but I I know a person basically who um you know was diagnosed with herpes a few years ago and when this news was shared with her partner she suggested she had an outbreak which is why she got tested so she told this partner about it and disclosed to him and he was like oh I got tested and like I'm good or whatever and so she was just upset because he was saying that he was good quote unquote but she was convinced that this is where she got it from now of course you know I think there's just so many moving pieces to STIs even right. if you know like I've been with this person for the last six months unless you were tested six months ago and yeah, even then really have you know, you and like we said you may not have any signs or symptoms or anything so Ex- exactly but I think that because um do you do herpes with a blood you do it with a blood test or something no you can't so but mm-hmm. the the best way to test for herpes is to actually see the, the outbreak and then culture the outbreak Oh, okay. blood tests are only really beneficial in certain situations. So let's say, for instance, Valine, you, you and I are in a relationship. And I say, Valine, hey, girl, hey. girl, I got herpes. I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. I hope you still love me. What? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you gave I'm me this. Like, I'm going to mess you up. I remember she liked that. You didn't say that, right? And so, if so, Valenay, if you go to your doctor and you say, "Hey, doctor, doctor J, look, um, my girlfriend in five years told me she has herpes. I want to be tested to see if I have it too." Mm-hmm. That's a reasonable person to test because that way you can tell that person, "Hey, be careful because she can give it to you." Mm-hmm. Or don't worry about nothing. You both got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Other p- potential people that you would want to test with blood tests are pregnant patients because you want to know if they they could potentially pass it to the baby. Or if someone comes in and they have these recurrent outbreaks and you've done your cultures and that's negative, but you're trying to figure out, are they, do they have herpes? Then yes. But someone who comes in, no symptoms, not having sex right now or or in a monogamous relationship, and they're like, I want to be tested for herpes. My first question is why? Mm-hmm. Have you had outbreaks? Are you concerned for your partner or whatever? Because honestly, my assumption is you probably already got it because most of the world already has it. Mm. But also, what am I going to do for you if you're positive? I'm not going to give you medication right now unless you have an outbreak. Um, there's no other cure for it. You're going to have it for the rest of your life. It's just information for you to have. You are yeah. welcome to have that. You just have to understand what that information means. Mm-hmm. And, right? So, Valen, you go get tested, right? And you find out you're positive. I can't tell you when you became positive. Mm-hmm, I can't right. tell you that you got it from me. I can't even tell you. I can't tell you nothing. I can just say, Valine, you have been exposed to herpes in the past. That's it. Period. And a lot of times what people are looking for is not that. People want to know, did Valen give me herpes so I can whoop her ass when I get home? Right. And, and I can't, you just that. can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. So most of the time when people ask me for a herpes test, I usually ask them why they want it. 
And then I tell them that information and if they still want it, I order. There's no, there's no reason not to, but you just have to understand what that information is giving you. You don't want to walk in thinking you're going to, you know, your boyfriend, you want to know if your boyfriend gave you herpes. And all I can tell you is you got herpes at some point in the last, however long you've been sexually active. Okay. Last one as we finish up our time is the bit kahuna HIV. Yeah. Y'all just get tested. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, you know, HIV is a new use you just say protection. Get tested and use protection. Oh, and go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say the one thing that I, I, I don't think I mentioned before, but we should talk about is all of the STIs we've talked about, gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, syphilis, all of those increase your chances of getting HIV because of the way they mess with the immune system. So don't assume that just because you got gonorrhea and you can take some antibiotics and that's okay, that if your person, if the person you're sleeping with has HIV, that you may not get it. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing is for you to be tested on a fairly regular basis, um, depending on how, what your sex practices are. But Mm -hmm. there's all, I mean, like, girl, it's such a business. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's really, it's really simple at the at the very basic level of being mature enough to engage in the sexual act that you should then be mature enough to say i want to be responsible and use protection and get tested regularly but with hiv too and I, i think valen can speak to this i think hiv is one of those things especially in our community that people for a long time didn't want to know Right. They didn't want to know because they're scared or they're concerned about what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, with herpes, even though that's a lifelong infection, it's not, you know, it's not as bad as HIV. Gonorrhea, you can get rid of. Chlamydia, you can get rid of. HIV is something that you that you live and die with. And I think a lot of people, especially people of color, when HIV and AIDS became a huge epidemic that people just were like, I don't want to know. Because if I don't know, then I don't have to deal with what comes right. next. Mm-hmm. But what but you just something that is very important is that people are getting it and they can live and die with it, not necessarily from it anymore. So yeah. again, yeah, getting tested, and if you are positive and you know your status, getting tested and getting the appropriate treatment, you can die with it, not from it. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a huge takeaway yeah. as you know, we, we kind of wrap up our list of, of STIs and how they are trans, you know, transmitted and they're increasing, um, but that we need to do better mm-hmm. just in our sexual practices. If you are going to make that conscious decision to engage in the activity, then you need to be responsible for at all aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the you is the proverbial you, right? The you is the community. Like we've talked yep. about, you know, parents, adults, you know, knowledge that we passed down or, or forgot to pass down. And I think that that shame that goes with it, like one thing that I was thinking about as we were having this discussion is like, again, sexual health, it kind of reminds me, the stigma with sexual health and STIs especially is like the stigma with mental illness. And so, you know, like there is a there is a spectrum. We all have mental health. We all have sexual health. Not everyone with, uh, you know, 
know, not everyone will have a mental illness. That's one in five. Right. Not everyone will have an STI, but a lot of them, you know, we're talking 50% of sexually active people or, you know, things like that. So we expanded to like, these things are spectrums and these are common phenomena. Like these are, these are things to just know about, like knowledge to have, whether you need to use it or not, but just to equip yourself. And I think, you know, that to go back to what you were saying, Dr. J, just that, that, information you know having the information and getting tested regularly can help you because you you know these are not necessarily a death sentence but it it does inform your overall health it certainly impacts people's mental health your relationships your sexual health whether you're in relationships or not you know this i've seen this impact people's self-esteem you know Mm -hmm. self-worth um you know like who who am i you know with this disease all these sort of things so it's definitely something that you know like as a community and as as a society we have to you know continue to equip people with information so that they know and i think one of the the big takeaways from what you said dr clay was like one of the big signs one of the biggest symptoms for most of these is no symptom at all mm-hmm. so if you're looking for you know you, you you're not gonna find nothing <laughs> you know so like you you mm-hmm. have to be proactive in another way you know yeah. you have to be proactive in and getting tested and stuff like that so yeah. well ladies it's been real um always sharing good information and dropping those nuggets of knowledge um, and with that, we're going to come to a close for another another episode of This, this Is This.